Good morning, church. The scripture this morning comes from the books of Mark, Hebrews, 1 Peter, and Acts. I'll give you the reference prior to reading each section, and you can follow along on page 6 of your bulletin, if you choose. Okay, I'll back up. Mark 1, 9 to 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Mark 15, 37 to 39. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Mark 6, 4-6. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Acts 1.6-8 2, 1 to 4. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. When they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the word of the Lord. It's with a lot of joy that I am able to really announce to you a special development in the life of our local ministry here, as well as in our local community. And that is that we have the opportunity to start up a new campus ministry on the campus 
of Howard University, uh, that we will be starting up something, yes, and hold your applause actually, right, that we will be starting up something new uh, called Reformed University Fellowship, which is the campus ministry of our denomination, the PCA, and this is something that we have prayed about for many, many years. In fact, even from the beginning of the start of our church eight years ago or so, uh, having the campus of Howard just down the street and having students from that campus, both undergraduates and graduates, loving having you all here day after day and year after year and the joy that that has been, uh, praying from the beginning that the Lord might start up a work that is not only in service to the students and the student community there, but also that provides a link to our local congregations across the Grace Network. That is going to be starting up this coming fall in the Grace DC Network. Our three congregations are going to be doing what we can to support that ministry. That is a great and wonderful joy. Today, we have a guest speaker, and that is the man who will be serving as the campus minister of that campus ministry. And his name is Pastor Cyril Chavez. And we're glad to be able to have him here today. Uh, Pastor Cyril grew up in the Virginia Beach area, so not too far away from here. Uh, graduated from the University of Virginia, as some of you have. I see some of those graduates smiling and beaming. Um, a joy to have that connection as well, um, was, uh, attended Reformed Theological Seminary for his seminary training, was ordained, and currently serves as pastor and campus minister at Jackson State University in Mississippi, and so is currently making the transition over here uh, together with his wife, Janelle, who will be living here in the district and will be ministering on campus down the street. We are so blessed, brother, to have you here. And as you could hear, people are excited, uh, barely able to contain their applause, right? So a joy to not only uh, meet you as a community, to receive from you as a preacher, but also to anticipate what we know God can and will do by his grace through your ministry. So as you bring the word of God to us, everyone, let us welcome our brother. That's what I'm feeling too. I'm, I'm excited to be here. How's everyone doing? All right. Good. So I, just, I mean, y'all saw me just walk in from Grace Mosaic. So um, I, I wish I could, could be here for the, for the worship and be able to greet you all before the service. Uh, but we'll have plenty of time to do that afterwards. So I, I love to stick around and meet y'all and uh, get to know y'all. So um, uh, thank you, Pastor Duke, for the introduction. Uh, like you said, I'm from, Virginia, I'm from the Virginia Beach area, currently live in Jackson, Mississippi, and I'm on my way up here August 1st. So I have a wife and, and two kids, and, and we're excited to be in the mix, to be in the area. I'm an RUF campus minister. Uh, it's the official campus ministry of our denomination. So actually, as I was thinking about it, and I meant to mention this at Grace Mosaic, but I think uh, many of, y'all, of y'all's pastors in the network have done RUF or been intimately in the mix of RUF. Um, do you, you, RUF at Brown, and then uh, Glenn, uh, RUF at, at Harvard, and Russ is the director of cross-cultural ministry for RUF, so even as a network, y'all have loved this ministry well and even testified to its importance 
uh, to reaching college students. So it, it, it's a privilege and an honor to be in the mix and feel love from y'all and the support and the prayers. So uh, I'm eager to share with you all God's word. Um, so if, if you all would, so I'm, I, I came a little late for the, for the scripture readings, but I realized that I, asked, I think I accidentally put Mark 6 instead of Mark 16 for one of the readings. But it, Mark 6 actually worked out anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, like, oh, okay, Lord, all right, that, that kind of works. Uh, so, so Mark 6 was basically Jesus couldn't do any miracles in a town, but it's because the, the, the power of the Spirit did not uh, come upon him to do those miracles because the, the faithlessness of the people displeased the Father. Uh, but really kind of, as you heard, I really, so today is Pentecost Sunday, uh, and I, I kept on saying Pentecostal Sunday, the Whitfield house has been giving me grief. They say, man, you so old school, like Pentecostal Sunday. Uh, but um, so I'm here on this good Pentecostal Sunday uh, to, to talk about the Holy Spirit. So, so the thread throughout all these texts are the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit uh, baptizing Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit driving him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit uh, empowering him as he dies for us. And, uh, and, and I, I want to read for you Mark 16, uh, 4 through 6. We see the Holy Spirit. And, and well, uh, I don't have to read it. It's Jesus rising again. Uh, and 1 Peter 3.18 talks about Jesus being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the spirit. And then uh, Pastor Duke tells me that you all are in the book of Acts, so you all are already familiar with just the spirit being everywhere throughout the spread of the church. So uh, this morning, I, I want to highlight the, the work of the spirit. So w- would you all pray with me? And we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that it is to know you and to love you. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you are already here because your people are here. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to minister to us. Holy Spirit, continue to comfort us, continue to build us up in holiness, continue to encourage us, continue to challenge us, continue to build us up. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give me preaching power. Lord, that's not just something I say because preachers say it. It's not just something cute that Christians say. Like, Lord, we really need you. We really need your spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. And you give me the strength and the ability to explain your word clearly and compellingly. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give me preaching power. And Holy Spirit, my hearers need you. Your hearers need you. Lord, I pray that you would open up their hearts, that they might receive your word with faith, that they might believe your word, that they might receive your word with love, they might love your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make them a a safe place for your word, that they would treasure it up, that your word would remain stored in their hearts, that they might live it out, that they might practice it. Holy Spirit, help us to not only be good hearers of your word, but also good doers of your word. May we live lives submitted to Jesus Christ's Lordship and in service of love to God and to others. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. So, if any of you have kind of taken world history in middle school or high school or maybe just, you know, you're, you're a world history nerd, you know that all throughout world history, there are wars and military maneuvers that have changed the course of world history. So, for example, the Battle of Tours happened in year 732 uh, A.D. near Tours, France, what we now know as France. Uh, And the Frankish and Burgundian troops, they fought the Islamic empire's advance into what we now know as the European continent. And historians say 
that if the, the, the Frankish troops did not win this battle, that Europe would not be a primarily Christian nation uh, continent, that Islam would have been the, the predominant religion in the continent of Europe. It, it, it was a game-changing battle. Uh, in, in the year 1944, during World War II, D-Day was the invasion of Normandy. It was the largest and is the largest seaborne invasion in history. So thousands of Allied troops stormed French beaches. And the battle be, this battle was the beginning of the end for Nazi control over France. And it was the beginning of the end of the uh, battle on the Western Front. This was a game-changing military maneuver for world history. And we know a year later, tragically, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. These were two events that changed the course of world history. The legality and morality of these bombings are still debated today. But this is history's first and only use of nuclear weapons in war. And this event was the cause of the Japanese surrender, ending the world war. All of these military battles and maneuvers changed the course of world history. But what if I told you that there is a war raging today that is not like the battles that we read in our history books? What if I told you that God created the world as his royal palace and he's king and he set up Adam and Eve to be kings and queens to rule over this world, to make this world a place that reflected his beauty and his glory? for this place to be submitted to God's kingship. And what if I told you that Satan the, 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 is basically a, an evil spiritual being. If God is a good spiritual being, Satan is an evil spiritual being. He waged war against God by attacking Adam and Eve, God's kings and queens. And he convinced them to want to be like God and to try and take God's throne. And in the process, he duped them. He took their throne that they were supposed to have. He took Adam and Eve's throne, and now he wants to make God's palace a place that shows off Satan's glory. And this is why the Bible calls him the ruler of this world. This is why the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. And so we see all throughout scripture, all throughout biblical history, the, the Bible presents this, this war that is going on. There are God's people, God's remnant that are at war with, with Satan's people in, 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 in Satan's kingdom. And we are familiar with some of these biblical stories, some of these game-changing battles, some of these important battles. Cain and Abel was one of the first ones. Now, the seed of the, the God's godly line was at battle with Satan's seed. And uh, we are also familiar with Moses and Pharaoh, that the uh, forces of Satan was trying to stamp out God's people and prevent God's people from being blessed. There have been many battles in this war, and we see them all throughout Scripture. But guess what? Even this war has ravaged God's people. The people that were supposed to be God's people actually became Satan's people. That when Jesus came to this earth and he went to the synagogues where God's worship was supposed to happen, they weren't synagogues of God. Jesus called them synagogues of Satan. That even among God's people, Satan has taken over. Uh, Israel constantly rebelled against God. That's why they were sent into exile. The kings failed to rule with righteousness. The prophets preached lies and the priests abused their responsibilities. See, by the end of the Old Testament, if you have ever read the Old Testament from beginning to end, you will walk away kind of depressed. You will be like, are we ever going to win? You will say, this is depressing. 
The people of God sinned, and, 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 and the prophets talk about how they'll be sent into exile, and they'll come back from exile, and there'll be a renewed people with a, with a renewed knowledge of God, and, and how the Holy Spirit will dwell among the people, but we don't see the full fulfillment of that promise. We still see a people who are wilding out. They still haven't got it together. And we end the Old Testament saying, when are we going to have victory? Y'all, don't we feel the effects of this battle in our everyday lives? We don't have to read the Old Testament in order to know that there's something deeply wrong with the world. We don't have to read the Old Testament to really have a sense that there are some type of powers and principles that are at work to keep things from messing up. Isn't that what we kind of sometimes mean uh, when we say that I'm only human? That there's something common to every human that makes us have something common, which is we all mess up. Isn't that what we mean when we say the world's a messed up place? That there's something common and universal about everyone's experience in the world. There's something kind of transcendent that the world is just a messed up place and everybody experiences it in this way. And if we're honest with ourselves, don't we kind of sometimes feel the hopelessness of this? That we go through tragedies, we wrestle with sin in the own darkness of our own heart, that we wrestle with evil. We see all these different tragedies happen throughout the world. And we can just be like, God, where are you? We can feel like darkness has won. We can feel like we have not won a battle yet. And you know what? You might come to church and, and you might be trying out this whole Christianity, this whole Jesus thing. And you might be like, OK, this is cool and everything. This sounds great. I like the Bible stories. They're inspiring. I like the morality. But what does God have to do with my everyday life in 2019? What does God have to do with me living in Washington, D.C., in the United States of America in 2019? What difference can God make in the here and now? Has anyone ever asked that question? What does this actually mean? Does it make a difference? And family, I'm here to tell you today that Pentecost is the answer to your question. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the answer to our questions. This makes the difference in the war. So I'm, I'm here to tell you today that there was a battle, a military maneuver that happened that changed the course of history 2,000 years ago. And if you don't get anything else from our time, I want you to get this. The spirit has defeated Satan. The spirit has defeated Satan. And kind of, I just, I just want to walk through four kind of snapshots or episodes of this mission that the, the spirit and Jesus and the father are on in order to rescue us from, from the grips of sin and Satan. And so I, I want to look at the declaration. I want to look at the invasion. I want to look at the victory in the administration. And so really kind of what, what I really want to do is um, really kind of sit back and, you know, so I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, MMA. Have y'all, you know, do y'all know what MMA is? Mixed martial arts, like UFC. And, and, you know, so I grew up doing martial arts. I did karate and I, you know, did kickboxing. I did all different kind of things. And if, if you're a fan of boxing, you always know that one champion that's always talking trash. And you're like, man, I need somebody to raise up and beat this champion. This person is getting on my nerves, right? You're looking at the, 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 the real thing, and you're looking at Instagram, and, and you're seeing up-and-coming champions, and you're hoping, man, can this underdog, can this champion, potential champion, be the one who beats the reigning champion? 
And so in our lives, we can sometimes feel like Satan is the reigning champion, can't we? That he's talking trash and, and, and he's been having his way with our cities, with our communities, with our families, with our own lives. And we're like, man, can, can we get a, a young and up and coming champion to challenge the reigning champion? And so what I want to do today is I kind of want us to sit back, grab some popcorn and watch the fight that is about to happen. You see, Mark brings us into a championship fight. He shows us how Jesus dethrones the then current champion. So, um, so first, like, in, 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 in this war, we need a weapon. So the thing is, the Spirit started the offensive by creating a weapon. And this weapon's name is Jesus. So if, if you're familiar with the gospel narrative, the Spirit overshadows the womb of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is creating a unique God-man who is uniquely qualified to defeat the enemy. You see, he's both 100% God, 100% man. He is human and perfectly sinless. The eternal son of God entered into this world and he took on a real human body and a true and reasonable soul. And he was sinless. And then not only did the spirit create this weapon, the spirit is also preparing this weapon. So Christ was trained. He's getting ready for the fight. For the first 30 years of his life, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us that Christ is growing up in wisdom and stature and he gained favor among men. You see, this is a fulfillment of an old prophecy that when the king comes, when the champion comes, when the rescuer comes, the spirit will rest upon him and he will have the spirit of justice. He will have a spirit of wisdom. He will rule the nations. The spirit will anoint him to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim good news to the poor, set free those who are in bondage. The Holy Spirit is preparing and seasoning Jesus as he grows up into a grown man. And so I don't know about y'all, but I'm a fan of the Marvel movies. And, you know, so, so we just had a, a, a newborn baby. We, she's a month and a half old. And so we really wanted to see the new one. What's it called? Um, Avengers. Um, I'm blanking. In game, yeah, we, we really wanted to see it, and we were like, man, should we just bring our baby? Like, she, she's young enough, you know, we're just gonna do a strong parent move and just bring the baby up in there. But we were like, oh, we can't do it. We just be so like sweating, so uncomfortable, people looking at us if the baby even makes one noise, you know. Um, so, but man, so, so what we've been doing, we, we've been watching every Marvel movie leading up to it so that our babies will be old enough to stay with somebody, we go see the movie. Um, but so, 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 we got a whole strategy. But, uh, but, but, but one thing about these movies is that there's always kind of like this super soldier, right? And that, you know, they have this program, this secret program, and, and they're injecting serum. And man, well, well, my favorite character is Bucky. Uh, he's, he's, he's the winter soldier, so he's got like a metal arm. I think that's so cool. Like he's, like he's just blocking stuff and, you know, you know, ripping cars open and stuff. And they, 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 they train him. He's got special training. He's brainwashed, so he never fails, and he always is like doing orders and commandments. And this is kind of like what the Holy Spirit is doing with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a serum that injects Jesus and gives him his superpowers. And the spirit is kind of like his metal arm and he can rip apart Satan's kingdom. And he's brainwashed and programmed because he is God. He cannot do, uh, go astray from his programming. He is perfect in every way. He cannot sin. And so what we see is this. To today I want us to look at what the spirit is doing in the life and ministry of Jesus. Not only has the Spirit created the weapon, prepared the weapon, but the Spirit is empowering Jesus to win this war. So somebody say the declaration. The declaration. Let's do that again. Somebody say the declaration. The declaration. 
So in, in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we're told about Jesus' baptism. So a lot is going on in Jesus' baptism, but one thing is for sure. The Spirit is soaking Jesus with power. Jesus is declaring war. For 30 years, he's been training and preparing, and now he's ready. So I'm not sure. I mean, we, we all know about Mike Tyson, right? And how, you know, he's, he's big in, in diesel. And, you know, he, he, he like I was watching a documentary. He really has an interesting psyche. Like what really makes him a good fighter is because he's like, you know, he, he, he's, he, he's mentally unique to be a fighter. Like he is like he talks about like, yeah, I'm walking into the ring and I'm staring my opponent in the eyes and, you know, I'm staring him down the whole time. And so he's walking into the ring and he's in the ring and he's walking around and he's like, I stare my opponent in the eyes. And the moment my opponent looks away, that's when I know I won the fight. And then you know, Mike Tyson goes in there and, you know, does uppercuts and hooks and he's biting people's ears off and like getting mad. And, you know. And this is kind of like what it's like with Jesus. Jesus at the baptism is staring Satan in the eyes. And Jesus is walking around the ring and he's looking at Jesus in the eyes. And Satan looks away and Jesus knows he's won the fight. And here, as we're looking at this, we're supposed to cheer on our Savior as our Savior is rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to fight. And, and so what we see is, is, is we feel the controlling influence of evil over this world. We feel those hopeless moments. But what we should be encouraged by is we're watching a Savior who is soaked with power and getting ready to bring the fight to evil. We shouldn't let tragedy, depression, guilt, Fear, shame, anger, anxiety, and self-hate, and tragedy have the last say. Family, a battle has happened that has changed the course of world history. Second, somebody say the invasion. invasion. And so after Jesus is baptized, he's soaked with the Spirit. Guess, so when we, when we hear about the temptation, we think that Jesus kind of, you know, is randomly walking through this wilderness, and Satan pops up and finds him, and then he's oh, unexpectedly tempted. What happens is the text says that the spirit cast Jesus into the wilderness. See, it's almost like, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like Tommy and the Godfather, or he's kind of like, you know, the wartime conciliary or, or the right hand man. He is the one who knows where all the battles are happening. He's the one who knows where the strategic moments are happening. And the spirit is almost like Jesus' military advisor. He's guiding Jesus into his first battle. And so here Jesus is on a special operations mission. See, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He became a human, so he entered into Satan's realm of influence, right? He is almost like a secret presence in Satan's kingdom. He's tearing it up from the inside. But even though he's in Satan's sphere of influence, he's not affected by Satan's influence. He is sinless. And this is what we see. Jesus is like, I'm in your kingdom, and I'm not affected by it. The Satan tries to. So this is the thing. Jesus is truly human. Right. So these temptations are real. They weaken him. They take energy to fight. Jesus actually has to resist these temptations as a human being. He has to resist them by the power of the Holy Spirit and the and the encouragement of the word of God. But because he is truly 100 percent God, he can never sin. These temptations do not work. Satan comes to tempt Jesus but Jesus resists them all. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel in the wilderness failed, Jesus succeeded. And where we have failed, Jesus has succeeded. 
And so I'm not sure if you all have heard of like kind of some of the pop references to the movie Get Out. Uh, you know, have you heard of the sunken place? There's kind of like this place of hypnotism where someone puts you uh, under hypnosis and you're, you're just kind of like floating in this dark abyss and you're just under their control. That's almost like, so it, it, I don't know if it was me who's being tempted by Satan. Satan would instantly put me in the sunken place, right? Apart from Christ, he would tempt me and he would win every single time. He would put me under sin's hypnosis. But the thing is, he tries to come up and tempt Jesus, and Jesus just smiles back at him. It doesn't work. And, and, and the beautiful thing is Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30, teach us that what's happening here is Jesus is binding up the strong man. Y'all ever heard of that? What Jesus, so if basically if this baptism is Jesus declaring war, what Jesus does right here is he walks up to the, Satan's palace, sidekicks the doors, walks in, and ties Satan up. He's basically telling Satan, like, this is no longer your house. This is my house. And I'm going to tell your demons and your flunkies to do whatever I want them to do. This is why in every gospel account, exorcisms only happen after the temptation. Because this is where Jesus puts the enemy on the run. They now know who he is. He's flexed his muscles. So here we, we should cheer Jesus on as we see him tearing stuff up. He is in Satan's house and he's flipping over furniture and, he's, and he is showing his dominion. Do y'all see how powerful your savior is? Do you see what kind of savior you have? When you are struggling with besetting sin, when you are wrestling with doubt, and when you are wondering if you're ever going to overcome those demons, ever overcome those temptations that seem to win and overtake you every single time, no matter what. There are those sins, whether it be anger or envy or, or jealousy or whether it be disrespecting others or, you know, uh, popping off at the mouth, whatever it might be. You're like, I might as well just give in to him because every single time it's going to get me. Right. But here's the thing. You know that sin doesn't have the last word because of Jesus' victory over every temptation. You see that there is someone who has shown us that sin is not invincible. Sin is vincible. There is one who has the power to cast out demons and overcome every sin. A battle has happened that has changed the course of world history. But thirdly, I want us to look at the victory. Somebody say the victory. victory. And so we read in the scriptures about how Jesus died and how he rose again and ascended. Now these things happened by the power of the spirit. So the, the text tells us that when Jesus offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sins, the Holy Spirit was with him and it empowered him to actually do that. And the text tells us that when Jesus rose again, the spirit was there and the spirit rose him up. We see that the spirit is all throughout Jesus ministry. And so kind of what happens is uh, at, at, at the crucifixion. So if Satan's already tied up at the crucifixion, Jesus picks Satan up and throws him out. Right. And then at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus sits down on the throne and has a party. Jesus, when he is resurrected and when he ascends up to the right hand of the father, that's his inauguration. That's his coronation ceremony. He is now king. He has made a decisive move against the power of the devil. And so, Christian, as 
as we see this, it's almost like in a fight. So if you're ever familiar with boxing, it's like, so if you're not familiar with boxing, it just looks like they're all like dancing in there and they're just doing this and they just throw punches randomly. But it's a bunch of strategy that goes into throwing punches. So to land a punch, you're like, okay, I got to go this way. And then I got to throw this jab. And then I got to, you know, boom. And then I'm going to land this overhand right that's going to win the fight, right? So you're having strategy. And so when, when we see Jesus being crucified, it's almost like we see Jesus eating a stiff jab. We're like, ooh. Like, we see Jesus like, oh, and we're like, oh, I don't know, like, is, 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 is our Savior going to make it past this? I don't know. He's dead. But then we see that he took that stiff jab so that he can set himself up to do a powerful overhand right when he resurrected from the dead. You see, Jesus at the cross took a loss. He died and the wrath of God was poured out on him and Satan thought he won. But Jesus rose again. He was openly acknowledged and acquitted by the father and he was enthroned as king and he is victorious. You see, the devil took Adam and Eve's throne. And Jesus says, move out the way. Now I'm sitting on it. God became a human so that he can sit on the throne that humans messed up. And now as a human, he is reigning in the sphere of humans. He is a God man, a God human for a reason. Only someone who is both God and man could take the throne that Adam and Eve lost. Are you all with me? And so as we see this, joy should fill us. We see that in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggles, we know that someone who has walked this earth has struck a decisive blow to all of our problems, to all of our sorrows, and to all of the things that are causing us grief. We should look at this and say, you know what? I think there's someone who has lived, who has defeated every enemy. I think there's someone who's lived who has defeated death by rising again. I think there's someone who has lived who has defeated guilt and shame by dying on the cross. I think there's someone who has defeated every suffering, who has defeated poverty, who has defeated injustice by being uh, enthroned and being king. And he promises to come back one day just as he ascended. A battle has happened that has changed the course of world history. And lastly, the last phase of the, of the war, the decisive battle, is the administration. Somebody say the administration. administration. And so today we celebrate Pentecost in, in the liturgical calendar. And really, Acts chapter 2 tells us about Pentecost, as I'm sure you all know, because you're going through the book of Acts. And so the day of Pentecost, the Spirit is poured out. And, and so when, when I think about the Holy Spirit, see, the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was, was dwelling among God's people. When, whenever you see the glory cloud in, in the Old Testament, like when it talks about like smoke and fire and, and lightning, that's basically a visible display of the Spirit. Like this, the Spirit is there. And the pillar of fire uh, by night and the cloud by day, that's the Holy Spirit leading the people in the rest. So the Spirit has been there in glimpses. The Holy Spirit has rushed upon people. The Holy Spirit has anointed kings and prophets. But really what God does after Jesus come, comes is he turns up the heat. He's like, now everybody's going to get the spirit. Now the spirit is going to be poured out. Now it's going to be given without measure. It's almost like I have this image of like a water tower. Like, you know, like, can, can y'all imagine if someone just cracked a water tower? Have, have y'all ever thought about that? Like, you see, like, how skinny, like, the, the things that are hold the water tower are, and you see, the, like, the big kind of container. And you're like, what if, like, it just cracked and there's just, like, water coming out? That's almost like what the spirit was in the Old Testament. It was just leaking, right? 
So we saw just like a little bit, the spirit was trickling onto the people and onto God's. But like now in the New Testament, it's almost like somebody takes a rocket launcher and blows up the water tower and the, and the water is just flooding the town. That's what it's like with the spirit. The spirit is being poured out and it soaks the whole people of God. And so here what we see, Jesus accomplished victory and we are watching him do this victory and we're cheering him on. And Jesus is like, guess what? I'm going to give you my kingly secret sauce. Now you can have victory. The same spirit that he used to have victory, he now gives to his church. And he gives it to you without measure. This is what Pentecost means for you, Christian. It means victory. It means that the victory that we see Jesus doing is now the victory that can be shown and displayed in our lives. It's almost like King Jesus, after waging war, he gives us his weapons and his armor in order to go out and, 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 and advance the military campaign to make his name famous throughout all the earth. But we don't uh, fight this battle with, with weapons. We, we, we fight this battle with love. We fight this battle with uh, good deeds. We fight this battle by sharing the love of Jesus with our neighbors and in our city and in our communities. We want to see our whole world, our cities, our communities, our families know the beautiful and gracious and righteous and peaceful kingship of Jesus. And King Jesus has made us all little kings by giving us his spirit. And so, Christian, it is our duty to advance the kingdom of God in every area of our lives. You see, whereas Jesus had a declaration, he had an invasion, he had a victory, we can now have these same things. See, Christian, you can declare war on sin. You can declare war on suffering. You can declare war on grief because the same spirit that so Jesus with power and so Jesus with the presence of God is now the same spirit that has been poured out on you. And you should have encouragement when you look at that sin that's been beating you up for years. You should have encouragement encouragement when, when you look at your marriage and you're like, I don't know if my marriage can make it. You, you should have encouragement when you look at your kids and you're like, man, being a parent is so hard. Can I raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? You should have encouragement when, when, you, when you look at that anger struggle. You should have encouragement when you look at that besetting uh, melancholy that comes upon you. You should be encouraged when you look at your pornography problem because there is a spirit that has been poured out and its job and his job is to give victory. A new age has dawned at Pentecost and God has turned up the heat on everything about the Christian faith. You can have an invasion, the same spirit that soaked Jesus with the power to invade Satan's kingdom. You now have that same spirit. And God sends you out by his spirit to invade Satan's kingdom. Satan has been tied up, and now you can smack around and have your way with his demons, right? You can go in different areas and crevices of your community, of your household, of your city, of, 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 of our schools, and you can... Bring Jesus' goodness and his righteousness and his peace and his mercy to bear on those areas. God is calling us to ask the question, what would it look like for Jesus to show up and fill in the blank? What would it look like for Jesus to show up in your schools? What would it like for Jesus to show up in your household? What would it like for Jesus to show up in your uh, friendship with, with, with your non-Christian friend? And the Holy Spirit is the answer. We talk about Jesus walking with us, and, and we talk about Jesus going with us. But here's the thing. 
a lot of times, you know, and me, you know, it would be pretty cool to live during Jesus' time, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm hanging out with Jesus, and I get to dap Jesus up, and I get to hang out with Jesus, right? I get to touch his clothes, and I get to see his lips move. But guess what Jesus told his disciples? He said, it's better that I go away so that I can send another helper, so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, see, I'm with you, but when I send the Holy Spirit, I will be in you. You see, Christian, we live in better times than the disciples. The Holy Spirit does not just make Jesus with us. Jesus is not merely with us. Jesus is in us because we share his same spirit. I don't know if I can think of a closer bond between two people than sharing the same spirit. And that's what Jesus does with you, Christian. His spirit is in you. And family, you can have victory. You see, you can experience Jesus' death and resurrection in your life through the Holy Spirit. And so now, like, you know, having fellowship in Jesus' sufferings and experiencing Jesus' resurrection, this is all symbolic language for basically the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if we, you know, I remember one time I was, uh, I, I did a series on the Holy Spirit and I was trying to figure out what exactly does the Holy Spirit do, does, do, does, I don't know. What exactly does he do? He does everything. The spirit in your life, he brings Christ's cross to bear on your, uh, on your life. See, just as Jesus died, the Holy Spirit is putting sin to death in your life. And just as Jesus suffered on the cross, the Holy Spirit is giving you strength to suffer and to persevere in suffering. And just like Jesus rose again, G- uh, the Holy Spirit is working life in your life by giving you life-giving righteousness. You can actually know love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control because the Holy Spirit is giving you life. And not only that, but you will actually be bodily resurrected because the Spirit. One day we will, after we die, we will all rise again. And those who have placed their trust in Jesus will be openly acknowledged and acquitted and will be raised to glory because of the Spirit making Jesus' resurrection come to bear on every aspect of our lives. Through the Spirit's work, you can experience real joy and experience real victory in your life. See, I I know me, and and, you know, we're we're in the Presbyterian tradition, and you know, I I know I can sometimes focus so much on sin, 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 and forgiveness, and forgiveness, and, but I forget that, guess what the Bible promises us? Power. We are not, we not only avoid the consequences of our sin, which is God's wrath, but the power of sin is reversed. And the Holy Spirit is the way that this happens. Because God has poured out the Spirit on his church, his church has the power to have victory. To live, you know, even though we struggle, even though we're imperfect, even though we we, we stumble often, we should see because of the Holy Spirit an increased measure of grace, an increased measure of love, an increased measure of patience, of power, of perseverance in our lives because of Pentecost. And so family today, I, I want to encourage us that, that maybe if, if you're new to the mix and this is your first time hearing about the Holy Spirit and you're like, man, that sounds weird. I don't, want, I don't know if I want no Holy Spirit in me. You know, that sounds a little spooky. And, you know, that, this Jesus stuff is still a little weird for me. I want to invite you to stick around Grace Meridian Hill. 
You see, one of the most beautiful ways that the Holy Spirit can kind of become real is to rub elbows against people who have the Holy Spirit. That through God's church, through his people, you will see his love, you will see his patience, you will see his hospitality, you will see his long-suffering, you will see his graciousness, and you will see his people turn from their sins and repent when they mess up. Because they will mess up. We will mess up. But this is all from the Holy Spirit. And I want to I encourage you to stick around and, and get to know God's people and, and feel welcome because you are welcome and, 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 and get to know others and be known. And my prayer is that you will see and taste of the Holy Spirit and that you will want some. That you will say, whatever that Holy Spirit is, I want him to live inside of me and I want Jesus to be with me. And for those of us who have already placed our trust in Jesus, that we're, in, we're Christians and maybe we've been in church for a long time, I want us to renew our excitement for what the Holy Spirit is doing among his people and in the world. I want us to get excited that God is working through his spirit. I want us to be encouraged and bring the offensive to evil and sin and Satan. I want us to put the death sin in our lives and live out the fullness of the Christian life by the power of the Spirit. You see, and we can be encouraged to do that, do that because there is a battle that happened 2,000 years ago that has changed the course of history. There has been an invasion, there has been a declaration, and there has been a victory. And you can have all of these things in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And will you follow Him today? Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you that you are beautiful, that you are good, you are loving and just and holy. And God, we, have thank, we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Holy Spirit, we don't know what we would do without you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would empower us, encourage us, motivate us, strengthen us, Give us a spirit of repentance that we would know your love and forgiveness and we would know the life and sufferings that come with following Jesus. Jesus, thanks for saving us and thanks for rescuing us and thanks for doing it so beautifully and so well. It's fun to watch. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen.